Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Volendark Vita The Leo Voland is a mythological poem from the poetic Edda about an elf who is a master blacksmith called Voland, or Voland the Smith. As we make our way through his tale, there will be many interesting points to note, including Voland being described as an elf, though no more information about this is given away, his taking of a Valkyrie for a wife, and the degree to which he exacts his revenge for the suffering he endures at the hands of King Nithud. The Poetic Edda is a collection of Old Norse poems found within the 13th century Codex Regius, or the Konigsbok. Though the poems are thought to be much older than the manuscript itself, the Poetic Edda is one of our most important sources of Norse mythology. These myths were part of an oral tradition in the form of epic poems and sagas passed on from generation to generation. Voland, or Weyland, or Velent, as he is sometimes referred to, appears not only in the works of the Nordic and Germanic people, but also that of the Anglo-Saxons, as can be seen in the Lament of Deor, a poem found within the 10th century Exeter book, where one verse contains the lines, Wayland endured the agony of exile, an indomitable smith racked by grief. He suffered countless sorrows, indeed some say sorrows were his only companions, in that frozen island dungeon where Nithad fettered him. So many strong but supple sinew bands, binding the better man. Bolin's skill as a master smith is also mentioned in the heroic poem Beowulf. And the reason I decided to talk a little bit today about the Leo Volans will become clearer as we venture into his tale. It will bring us back to the saga of the Volsungs, an epic that we covered in the readings from Patrick Collum's Children of Odin. So perhaps I think it might be a good idea if we have a bit of a recap before I introduce you to another saga, and then finally the reason that we're here today, the Leo Voland. In the saga of the Volsungs, we were introduced to Sigurd of Volsung and the slayer of Fafnir the dragon. Sigurd rode Granny, his powerful and loyal steed. He possessed the sword Gram, awoke the sleeping Valkyrie Brynhild, who he loved but lost all memory of, and wed another. He was eventually killed, mourned by his wife Gudrun, and burned on a funeral pyre beside the body of the vengeful Brynhild. Of course, there is so much more to the tale than that, but we actually have a bit more to discover today. The Lay of Voland is a poem that consists of about 39 to 44 stanzas, depending on the translation. I've read the wonderful translations by Thorpe, Bellows and Holland, but today, to finish, I'm going to read a section from Dr Jackson Crawford's translation, as it's the version that really grabbed my attention and conjured up visions of the suffering, not only of the morally ambiguous Voland, but greedy Nithud and the terribly wronged Bothfeld. Attempting to summarise the Leo Voland was quite a task, only because an incredible amount happens within the narrative and it felt wrong to omit parts of the tale. However, I'll begin, and as ever recommend, that you take a chance whenever possible to read it too. Voland is the son of King Fenny and his two brothers, Slagfin and Aegil. One day as the brothers are travelling home, they come upon three Valkyries who have shed their swan skins and are bathing in a lake. The brothers take the skins and the women become their wives. The women stay, but long to return to their former lives, 
and upon the ninth winter they leave their husbands to judge battles as Valkyries once more. Slagman and Eagle leave in search of them, but Volund decides to remain at home, and working on crafting ring after gold ring, he strings them on a rope in his dwelling. A king by the name of Nithud learns of Volund's ability, and sends his men to seize Volund so that he might have the smith's skills for himself. The soldiers arrive, but Volund isn't home, and they steal one single ring from his collection. When Volund returns, he notices this and mistakenly believes that his wife has returned. Volod is then captured and presented to Nithid in chains, and he wishes to know the sources of Volund's gold. He replies, It was hardly a hoard such as Sigurd's gold, and this, of course, is the Sigurd from our saga of the Volsungs. Volund also sees that his sword is now in Nithid's possession. The queen is distrusting, and upon her insistence, Volund is cruelly maimed by the severing of his hamstrings, leaving him unable to walk or to escape. He is placed on an island to keep him from bringing any harm to the king, the queen or their family, and it is from there that he continues his craft. While on the island Saverstoth, Volund is left to plan his revenge and it's absolutely brutal. The two sons of Nithud come to Volund wishing to see his treasure for themselves. Volund tricks them into returning the next day without telling anybody where they're going. He then cuts off their heads, dismembers the bodies, makes cups of silver from their skulls, jewels with their eyes and their teeth, and gives them as gifts to Nithud and his family, while leaving them to wonder and to grieve for the missing boys. Another opportunity for Volund presents itself in Bothwild. The ring that Nithud gave her, which was stolen from Volund, has broken, and she unwisely takes it to the smith for repair. What happens next is truly awful. Volund takes advantage of Bothwild by plying her with drink and raping her. Volund, quite incredibly, has managed to make himself an apparatus allowing him to fly, and he's done this in secret. He leaves the greatly distressed Bothwild on the island and seeks out Nithud. There, Volund causes the king more anguish by confessing to his son's murders and telling Nithud that his daughter is carrying his child. An appalled Nithud watches as Volund flies away. Upon questioning his daughter if this fact is true, Bothwild closes the poem with a terribly sad and poignant verse, one that we'll hear later on. In Theodric's saga, or the saga of Theodric of Bern, not only do we learn more about Volund's past, but also the years following his story with Nithud. The saga is actually really exciting, and one that I'm going to cover in another podcast because it really deserves an episode to itself. Without giving too much away, I'll give you a brief idea of the storyline, and believe me, this saga will delight lovers of tales where a band of warriors come together to fight, and each has a backstory just as fantastic as the next. Theodric's saga tells of the legendary King Theodric and his assembled warriors, some of which you will recognise from other sagas. For those of you now familiar with the Volsung saga, Sigurd, slayer of Fafnir, makes a significant appearance. Theodric plans to take his men with him to challenge a formidable king. But life for Theodric and his men doesn't get any easier as the years progress, and there certainly is no lack of adventure, drama, or enemies which they battle. We've got giants, dwarves, demons, dragons, much, much more. Though some of the heroes will be recognisable by name, there are variations in their stories, and this is certainly the case with Voland and Sigurd. But I'm going to get to that in just a moment. I have read the translation of the Swedish medieval version, but the exploits of Diedrich can be found in old Germanic and Norwegian poems. It's thought to have been written in Norway sometime around the 1200s. 
In fact, the version that I've read is called The Saga of Diedrich of Bern, translated by Ian Comstey. It's really worth picking up a copy. It's absolutely fantastic. So then, what does this saga tell us about Voland? The youth of Voland, or Wayland, as we will call him for this section in Diedrich's saga, or the saga of Diedrich of Bern, begins with his father Wade, who was the son of a king and a mermaid. That union was not a happy one. However, Wayland was born to Wade, who was also a giant. When Wayland is nine, his father sends him to train under Mimir, a master smith. Another boy called Sigurd Sven was also with Mimir at this time, but was said to always be doing bad things and hit the other boys. Wade discovers Wayland was struck badly by Sigurd and removes his son from Mimir. Wade hears of a mountain called Kalava, where there are dwarves whose skill is unrivaled. He pays them to Trey's son and planning to return for him a year later. Wayland surpasses the dwarves' expectations and they tell his father that he is to stay for another year, but they will kill Wayland should Wade not return for him. Wade hides his sword for Wayland should he ever come to harm, and his son must arm himself. In the year that passes, the dwarves become increasingly resentful of Wayland's skill and eventually try to kill him. Wayland escapes only to find that his father Wade has died in a landslide, and a heartbroken Wayland finds the sword returns to the mountain, kills the dwarves, and takes their treasure and tools for himself. He manages to sail downriver in a hollowed-out log to the kingdom of Nithud, where he works for the king. Through a simple accident, Wayland is revealed as being a skillful, cra skillful craftsman, but challenged to prove himself by the kingsmith, Emilius, who has become rather threatened, and he proposes a test of their ability. Whomever should lose, dies. Emilius is given the task of making armour while Wayland is to make a sword. Without a smithy to work in, Wayland waits as a year passes, and then with only seven days until the test is due, the king provides him with a workshop. Setting to work, Wayland forges a sword that greatly impresses Nithid, who desires it for himself. But Wayland is not satisfied with his work and breaks the sword, after testing it by releasing firstly a hat and then a series of increasingly thick blankets on a stream and letting the flow of the water carry the items to his sword blade. When at last Wayland is happy, he duplicates the sword, now called Miming. Allowing only the lesser quality version to be seen at any time, Miming itself is hidden in his workshop. On the day of the test, Miming kills Amelius with a single stroke, slicing through the armour with only a touch of the blade. The king demands the sword from Wayland, but the smith manages to switch the weapons, keeping Miming for himself and the copy in the hands of Nithid. For a time, all is well, until the king must take his men into battle. It's here when Wayland is outlawed by Nithid. Wayland had killed the steward of the king, and Nithid had denied Wayland his daughter's hand even though the smith had retrieved his precious victory stone. Wayland leaves consumed by anger and regret over his outlawry. Nithud wins the battle, and for a time, Wayland waits for his opportunity for revenge. He decides to attempt poisoning the king and his daughter. But the, fa the plan fails, and the punishment Nithud delivers is by severing Wayland's tendons, leaving him hamstrung. Over time, Nithud offers Wayland compensation by allowing him to return to work in his smithy. At this point in the tale, Wayland's act of murdering the king's sons is played out in much the same way as in Volandard Kvitha. 
However, when the king's daughter visits Wayland, a strange and secret relationship forms between them. A promise is made between the pair to take no other woman or man. He mends her broken jewellery and tells her that within a year she will bear him a son. Aegle, Wayland's brother, is an archer with great skill and ability, who arrives and enters the king's service. Wayland, now satisfied that his grievance has been avenged, employs his brother to help him with his flying contraption. Once Wayland is prepared to fly, disguised as a great bird, he shows his brother where to aim his arrows should he be ordered to fire at him. Beneath his right arm he is a bladder filled with blood. Wayland takes flight to Nithid's throne, where he admits to the murders of the king's sons and impregnating his daughter. Enraged, Nithid orders Aegle to fire arrows at Wayland, which he does, but only ruptures the bladder of blood beneath his brother's arm. The king and his men, covered in the blood of what they think is their foe, are pleased with the shot. They are completely unaware the blood is that of Nithid's sons. In time, King Nithid dies, leaving his remaining son, Otung, in his place. Word of this reaches Wayland, who has returned to his father's land in Sealand. Wayland offers friendship to Otung, which is accepted. He then takes Nithid's daughter for his wife, and with their son, they leave for Sealand, where Wayland awaits a time when his king, Otung, might meet him. And what of the life of Wayland after these events? Well, his son is named Widdick who instead of wishing to become a master smith like his father, lusts for the life of a warrior. He desires to ride with Diedrich, the son of King Detmar, who rules in Bern. Wayland is not overjoyed with his son's decision, but seeing that he cannot prevent the boy from his fate, provides Widdick with an armour, a horse called Skimling, and a saddle made of what is described as elephant bone, but also the incredible sword Miming that was cast three times over, that took the life of Emilius and was a weapon marvelled by Nithid. Widdick's tale will be revealed another time, but I will tell you he is at the heart of the saga Diedrich of Bern. So then to Sigurd, our full-sung hero. So far we have touched on some interesting points, such as Volan stating his treasure was not as large as Sigurd's sword in Volan Dark Vitha, the character of Sigurd's Sven being trained under Mimir the smith at the same time as Wayland, who was struck by Sigurd, and the way in which they both test the quality of their swords, Miming and Gram. The beginning of Sigurd's tale is curious and quite different to the Volsung saga. Sigurd is found in a forest by Mimir as a small child. He is quite wild and has no speech. Mimir takes him home, and by the age of nine, Sigurd has grown to be big, strong and intimidating. He is also described as being bad and wicked. When Sigurd attacks another boy in a frightening display of aggression, Mimir knows he must act, for Sigurd will never be a smith. That much has become clear. In this tale, Mimir has a brother who is transformed into a dragon and goes by the name of Regan. He plans for the dragon to kill Sigurd, but it's not to be so. With Sigurd, the victor of the fray, he learns from the language of the birds it was Mimir who set his brother upon him. Sigurd returns to the smith with the head of the dragon in his hands. Mimir offered Sigurd, Sigurd armour, the horse Granny and the sword Gram, in compensation for his actions. Sigurd takes them, and with Gram he strikes Mimir with a deadly blow. Though Sigurd does not start off in the best possible way in this saga, his adventures mould him into a formidable, respected warrior, who is loyal and has friendships with other characters. In fact, there is one particular scene in the saga which is pretty fantastic, 
At one point, we have Sigurd with his sword Gram doing battle with Diedrich, who has taken possession of Miming for the fight. Here it is revealed just how powerful a sword Miming is, and after this episode, Sigurd becomes one of Diedrich's men. Now, I promise you that really isn't much of a spoiler. So much more happens after that scene that I'm certain that I haven't ruined a thing for anyone here. It is quite incredible that over the span of so many years, distances of many miles and variations here and there, the history of these characters, their adventures and deeds have survived. We recognise their names, we are familiar with and continue to draw inspiration from their tales to this day. It is now that we will return to the poem Voland Lertvita, at the point when Voland has flown to Nathut to further the man's agony with more details of the acts he has committed in revenge. And this extract is from stanza 29 to 40. Voland saw where Nathut's queen stood outside and went into the hall. Voland perched atop the wall and said, Are you awake, Nathut, lord of Nyari? Nathut said, I am awake. I have no joy. I barely sleep since my son's death. Your cold actions have chilled me. Now I wish I had never dealt with Voland. Tell me, Voland, you crafty elf, what kind of fate did my sons meet? Voland said, First you must swear my many oaths. Swear by a ship's board, by a shield's edge, by a horse's withers, by a sword's blade, that you will not harm my lover, nor cause her death even if my new bride is a woman of your kin, even if she bears my child inside your hall. Then go to the workshop that you forced me into. There you'll find bags full of blood. I cut your boy's head off, heads off and left their bodies beneath the bellows. And after I scalped them, I took the bare skulls and decorated them with silver before I sent them to you. And after I took their eyes out, I turned them into jewels for your crafty queen. I made jewels from the teeth of those two boys, and I sent those to your daughter, Bothwild. Now Bothwild walks about pregnant. Yes, the only daughter of the two of you. The king said, You could say nothing more awful to me. I would never torture you worse. There is no man so tall that he could reach you up there, nor so good a shot that he could shoot you down. There where you hang among the clouds, Voland. Laughing, Boland flew up and away, and left the joyless Nithud sitting below. Nithud said, Get up, Thakrath, my good servant. Go to my pretty daughter, Bothbilt. Tell her to come to me in fine dress, to come to talk to her father. The king then said to her, Is it true, Bothbilt, what Voland said, that you and he lay together? She said, It is true, father. Everything he said to you is true. Boland and I lay together on his island a while. We never should have. I couldn't fight him, father. I couldn't withstand him, father. I think you'll agree that Bothfield's words in that last stanza are incredibly sad. But that was the lay of Boland. I'd like to thank you, as always, today for listening. Um, you can get hold of me on Twitter at Myth. And email is mlegendlore at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. I'm Siobhan Clark, and this has been the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. <laughs>